Malachi chapter 3. Last week, I used this scripture, and the title was, God, I love you, but you can't have my money, all right? And uh, so this is <laughs> from the probably the second most famous passage, if not the first most famous passage in Malachi, um, starting at verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore... You, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you, so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Father, again, we come before you asking that you would open our hearts as we read your word. I pray that you would continue to uh, speak to us. Oftentimes we come to your word for encouragement, but sometimes uh, we have to come to your word uh, to be uh, corrected, sometimes to be um, prodded or pushed forward, um, but I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to take all of your word and, and apply it to our hearts and lives. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Last week, we started off with this passage, and we looked at uh, um, kind of the flow of what Malachi was trying to say. Okay. So he begins this passage talking about um, God's immutability. God does not change, right? He cannot change. He does not change. That's what we, we mean by God being immutable, right? He does not or cannot change. And because God does not and cannot change, even when we sin and fail him, his purposes for us do not change. So he says that even though uh, for generation after generation after generation, the nation of Israel had turned their backs on him, because of his immutability, because he does not change, right, they have not been destroyed, right? He has not cast them off. <coughs> so he tells them that if they will return to him, then he will return to them, right? So God's purpose in all the things that he has said up to this point in the, these chapters is reconciliation. He wants the nation of Israel to reconcile with him. Now, he goes on to say uh, that if they will, he said, if they will return, he will return, right? He, there will be reconciliation. And the people ask this question, well, how will we return? Okay. And, and whatever God says next, like I pointed out last week, is the way that people are to return to God. So when God says, will a man rob God, you are robbing me, the whole nation, right? 
God is telling them the way that they are supposed to turn back to him. And so we spent time last week showing how the most genuine way to determine when a person has completely turned back to God with all of their heart is their checkbook, right? Our giving really shows what our priorities are, right? Now, someone might ask, um, why, is, why do I think, right? I didn't uh, say this last week, but as I was thinking about this, um, you know, I, did, I didn't really give this ex- explanation. Why do I think that our giving is the best reflection of our whole hearts turning back to God? I would say that I think that the reason giving is the best reflection of when our hearts have fully turned back to God is because we are taking what we value and putting it towards the things that God values right? Um, You can, you know, you can, as I said last week, you can spend time praying, right? But you can pray completely about things that you want for yourself, right? Doesn't have to do anything with God, right? Uh, You can read scripture, and you can, you know, look at just the benefits that you get from yourself. So we have books about the Daniel fast, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking like, what? This is insane. <laughs> okay. So people, I want to diet and lose some weight. Okay, well, what Bible verses we got about that? Well, Daniel ate cabbage and stuff. Oh, man, I'm going to do a Daniel fast and I'm going to lose weight. That has nothing to do with the passage. <laughs> okay. Right. But, but, but what we have done is turned the Bible into a self-help book. Okay. So we, we, we look in it, well, what does it say about relationships? Well, what does it say about, you know, about money? Well, what does it say about health? And, and so we, we, we break the Bible down into chunks of, of just, bec- it, all it is is a self-help book. We look at the Bible for what we get out of it, and therefore, the Bible has nothing to do with God. Right. So we, we look at this book as uh, solely as a way of achieving the American dream. And and we don't see that this book literally has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. And the only reason it has anything to do with us is because it tells us what we need to do in order to glorify God. Now, it is not so with giving, (laughs) okay? Now, of course, you had in the the New Testament, Jesus talked about the Pharisees, right? And so some people, they come and and they give in order to be seen, Okay. Right. So some people do come and and they, and they and they they put the basket in and they be like, oh, you see, I bought X Y Z for the church. I put the new stained glass window in. Right. So, that, so there are some people, okay, who who give in order for their own purposes. That's not the average person. Okay. For the most part, when we give, if we're giving generously to God's work. It is because 
you know, in our culture, if you think about it, it's because it's what's in our heart, right? Because we are taught to be a society that spends money on pleasure. So if you're sacrificing your pleasure in order to put it into God's work, right, that shows there's something going on in your heart. Is anyone with me? Right. So, so because we value money and what money can do, when we sacrifice our own, you know, money, the thing that we value the most, and put it into doing God's work, that shows that God is, is, is transforming our heart in a certain way. Okay. So, and I think that we'll, we, we can see this, we'll see this uh, when we look in the New Testament, what Jesus says as well. Money is the best reflection of who we are. If I show you my checkbook or my bank statement, or you show me your checkbook or bank statement, I will know exactly who you are. Because the money is just an extension of what we love. Is anyone with me? All right. So I'm not going to really go too much more into that. I said this week when I um, came that what I really wanted to do is kind of put all of this stuff into perspective, okay? So I really want us to kind of slow down for a moment, put in in perspective everything that we talked about last week in light of everything that the Bible teaches about giving, right? So um, I want you to first turn with me to 3 John. I want you to turn with me to 3 John. All the way to the back of the Bible. 3 John. Book I've been reading a lot lately. I just finished reading 3 John 50 times. I'm working on, uh, I want to start uh, like a commentary series on books of the Bible. And the first one I'm going to work on, um, do is the got, um, the uh, letters of John. And so, like I said, before I preach something, I'm going to read it 20 times. But since I want to actually write a short commentary on it, I figured I might want to read it a couple more times. So... <laughs> I mean, it's only 15 verses, so it's not like it's not like it took me like forever to read it 50 times, right? Everybody at Third John. I want to just look at verses two through four. Okay, listen to what John says here. He says, "Beloved, I pray that you may go. Um, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, just as it is well with your soul." I was overjoyed when some of the friends arrived and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, namely how you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, we know uh, this passage. Of course, we looked at uh, we looked at this passage a long time ago. We went through this series on the letters of John and uh, in this passage. John is is talking about what brings him the most joy. Okay, if you all remember back when we looked at 
uh, at this passage. I think the title of my sermon was uh, something like, um, uh, I think it was How to Get Your Pastor to Pray for Your Prosperity. Okay. And um, uh, in, in this passage, right, John is overjoyed in, in hearing that those people who have been impacted by his ministry continue to walk in the truth. They continue to live their life in a way that, uh, that, that shows that the truth has taken root in them. Okay. Now, listen to what he goes on to say. After he prayed that, that, that um, Gaius would, would have the same type of prosperity in life that he has spiritually. He goes on to say, verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the friends, even though they are strangers to you. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on, um, send them on in a manner worthy of God, for they began their journey for the sake of, cr- sake of Christ, accepting no support from non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we may become co-workers with the truth. Now, notice what John is saying here to Gaius. Okay. Uh, he's saying that he's overjoyed to hear about how he is treating those people who are, work- who are working in the gospel. Now, at this early stage in uh, Christianity, they would have traveling evangelists. Okay. So, of course, they would have these people. Of course, the apostle John at this point was, was up in age. He's the last apostle, right? And this p- was probably written shorten, shortly before uh, 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 John's death. And so John in Ephesus is particularly having his ministry, but then he is sending out people to travel to different areas to, sh- to share the gospel. He says that these missionaries, as they are traveling, they are not receiving any income from the unsaved people that they're ministering to. Right? They're going out. They aren't receiving any income. So he says that you need to partner with them, right? He says that when when you fund their work, you are a co-worker in the truth. But he says that you ought to send them on in a manner worthy of God. Now, what does that mean for us today? Um, for us, I think that this means that um, for, for those of us who um, aren't missionaries, right, we aren't traveling around the world and, and doing all of these things to spread the gospel, even though there's still our responsibility. Okay. So there are people all over the world that need to hear the gospel, right, need to be ministered to, need to be saved. All of us can't go. Um, and all of us can't, all of us, most of us aren't going, <laughs> okay, right? Um, uh, but for some of us who would, would go, right, we can't go. We have bills, we have children, right? We have to work, okay? Um, and so what do we do? We partner with those people who can go, right? And we partner with them by funding them in a manner that is worthy of our Savior so that they can go out on the mission field and do their work and not have to be burdened or worried about finances. Like I said last week, I think 43%, I think, is the statistics of people 
who go out on the mission field um, long term are not able to stay on the mission field because they can't keep the funding coming in. Right. And, and, and that statistic is to the shame of the church. Right. So. It is our responsibility to do these things because we need to be co-workers with those who are spreading the truth. Everyone see that. Now, what is for us as a church, right? These are things that um, that are, are important to us. Okay. Um, for many of us, you know, we look at certain things. We all want a building, right? That that's that's important to us as a as a church. Um, however, there's nothing. I looked diligently la- all last night. And I didn't find anything in here about make sure you get a building. Buildings are nice. But the first church building didn't come about until about 300 years after Jesus died. That tells you priorities. That's great. We have a building fund. That's great. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's something that's important to do. But more important than us getting a building is things that we should focus on is like evangelism and discipleship. Uh, we should be focusing on supporting missions and missionaries, right? And I'll add, you know, humanitarian efforts uh, are things, right? Um, we should be focusing on one thing that we talked about early on, right, we haven't had a chance to get to, is community development, right? If, if God, God is not only concerned about our spiritual lives, right, he's a sp- he, he created our entire lives, and so we need to focus on everything, right? So when we talk about the image of God, I've told you that, that the image of God talks about our relationships, the way we think, the way we, um, I should give the acronym, relationships. Uh, us being rational the way we think, uh, volitional, our choices that we make, uh, emotions, and us being physical, okay? So if all of that is included, so we should be, ha- um, as a church, things that I, w- I would desire to see us have is counseling ministries, uh, education, right, tutoring for children, financial classes, working on housing for, um, for people, right? All of these things are things that, that can be done, right? We need to do something for, for our young people and, and those um, that we have that are in college, right? Um, we should have a college fund and be able to at least assist help with books or things like that. Um, uh, one of the things that's personal for me is I want to, you know, work on having a teaching ministry and not just me. I want to disciple other people that can do the same, okay? We can have, a, have our own YouTube channel, right? Working on books. We can put on conferences. These are all things that we can, can, that we can do. But it takes what? It takes money. Right. Everybody wants to have T.D. Jakes' ministry. <laughs> but nobody wants to do <laughs> what T.D. Jakes does. Right. Or the people of his church. Okay. Um, so, these are the things that we are, are talking about, right? Things that we've been talking about for over a decade now that we cannot get to 
because we keep getting this crunch financially. Every time we work on trying to move towards getting something done, there's some kind of a financial crunch. The summertime comes up, and then, you know, people, of course, they don't give in the summertime. Okay, so stuff comes in like this. As soon as we get to about the end of May, you're like, okay. Things pick back up, like the end of September, and then we got Christmas. And you go, well, right after Thanksgiving, you know. And so we, 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 we try to manage what we can with the ups and downs, but we want a lot of stuff. Okay. People keep coming, well, Pastor, when are we going to have the church cookouts again? Or when are we going to have the free crabs again? And when are we going to have this? And then that all costs money, right? Um, the one thing that we don't want to give. <laughs> so um, I told you this week this we this is just going to be all practical, okay? So we can kind of fit this in on the practical side and then look at some biblical principles. So how should Christians give and why? Okay, this is the second thing I want us to look at. How should we give and why should we give? And in order to talk about this, right, we have to have a conversation about two things, right? Uh, one is first fruits. And one is tithing, first fruit and tithing. We all know that Israel was to give a tithe of everything that they had, right? So they had several different tithes that they had to give, which actually ended up tolling. I know tithe means a tenth, but they actually ended up giving like 23 and one third percent, right? If you look at they had three different tithes that they had to give, okay? And they had the tithe off of each for each one, okay? Um, so... It ended up actually being about 23 and a third percent that they that they ended up in giving in tithing. Again, I want us to keep this point in mind. I'm not saying, nor do I believe, that all Christians are obligated to tithe. Okay, uh, listen to what I'm saying. I'm, we as Christians in the New T uh, New Testament believers have to take the principles of the Old Testament and see how they are applied to us. Okay, so. Uh, these are the things that we need to kind of focus on. I think we find the principle of how to give when we come to the idea of first fruits and tithing. And um, for those of you, I, th I see some people with their eyebrows raised up. I am not going to in any way say that you are supposed to give the first full paycheck of the year. Okay, again. I think that is an, an absurd way of applying this idea of first fruits. Okay, I know so many churches, are, January 1st comes up, you owe God your whole first paycheck. Okay, and to that I will bring you a bag of apples. Okay, it says first fruits. Say <laughs> not. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but listen, the principle. Let's focus on the principle, okay? Whenever there was a harvest, right? So they would, they would plant the seeds. Whenever there was a harvest, the nation of Israel was required to take a portion of the first thing that came up out of the ground, right? And they would bind it into a sheath, 
and they would take it to the um, to the temple and present it to God as an offering. Okay, the very first thing, the whole crop had not come in yet, but the very first things to sprout from that harvest, they were not to take for themselves. They were to take that binding in the sheath and offer that to God. First, they were not allowed or they were not supposed to, let's say it that way, right? They were not supposed to go and do anything else with anything, the rest of their harvest, until they went and gave this first fruit to God. Is anyone with me? The first thing comes up, you take it and give it to God. You cannot harvest anything else until you give God his first. This was an act of obedience and reverence towards God, and it demonstrated that they trusted God to provide for their families and fulfill his promise to bless the rest of their harvest. I think for us, the application in this is not um, duplicating what they did, but it is teaching us how we are to give. We need to give to God first. Now, think about it. We reverse the order. We get paid. Um, I was going to say we pay our bills. Then we go shopping and have fun. But we even probably reverse that. It's like we get paid, we go have fun, right? And then figure out how to pay our bills after that. Then, if there's anything left over, we give to God. Okay. But the principle of first fruit is teaching us that we are supposed to reverse the order. We get paid, then we give to God. Then we pay our bills. Then we go have fun. That, that's the order that first fruit teaches us. We need to learn how to give to God first. Then we go and use the rest of our money for the things that, that we need to do. Um, I think that this is something that is hard for us to consider <laughs> most uh, most of us because two things first we're taught to be consumers right and second but second if I was actually most of us if we actually you know gave that way we would not have money left over to pay our bills because we are so far in debt because we just keep spending 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 that we think that we can't give to God first. Um, but I think that there is a reason why we um, should do this, right? Why should we give to God first? Now, I was looking at this um, uh, this morning, actually, when I woke up, I had, had this thought. Um, I Googled, what is the average take-home pay for you know, for Americans, right? Um, and I think it says some, uh, the average take-home uh, pay for uh, for the average American. So you add it all up, take a median uh, average. So the average is was I think it was like thirty-two sixty per month. Okay, so the average the average American takes home three thousand two hundred sixty-eight dollars per month after taxes. Okay, um, and, and and with that you have to pay all of your expenses. Right. You got to pay car payment, mortgage payment, food. Right. 
then you want to get clothing and shelter and movie and all of these things like we, we we do all of these things and then at the end we figure out well, what do i have left over for most of us it's nothing because half the stuff went on our credit cards and and, and the reason that we have nothing left over is because we have so many bills that come out we're obligated to pay monthly payments on cars houses credit card bills store cards right we're not spending the money that we have this month on this month's purchases we're spending money on last month's purchases last year's purchases <laughs> right and so we, we feel squeezed now. You are not struggling because you want to go out to eat at TGI Fridays on Friday. That's not your problem, right? You that's not a reoccurring bill. You can choose to go or not choose to go. But your car payment, you can't not choose to pay that. I mean, you can, but then you'll be walking, okay? Your credit card payments, Netflix, Disney Plus, right? all of these things, boom, 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 they just keep coming out every single month. That is what is causing you to struggle financially, all of the monthly reoccurring payments. If you were to get all of that paid off, you'd be free to do whatever you want, right? And not feel the pinch. Okay. So why do I think this idea of learning how to pay God first is important. Two reasons. Number one, like the Israelites, it is an act of obedience and reverence towards God. It proves that we trust God to provide for us and our families, and it also shows that we trust God to bless whatever is left over, right? Many of us went to the same church. We all heard um, our former pastor say, God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100% right? God knows how to do that. But I'm, I don't want to focus on, th on that issue. I think that the second issue um, is more important because it drives at the heart of why we all struggle financially, right? And that is we lack discipline. We lack discipline. Right? And Giving to God first, whether that is tithing or setting a specific amount, whatever it is, giving to God first teaches you to be disciplined with what you have left over. And that is the real the real issue right now. I'm assuming that that when I say it teaches you to be disciplined with what you have left over, I'm assuming that you don't just take the other 10 percent and just charge it. Okay, well, I gave God 500 this month, so um, I had to charge charge up $500 to, to make up the, the difference, right? No, when I say discipline, I mean it, it, it teaches you how to live the principles in the Bible, right? Because you, 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 I have never talked to someone who tithes that does not live on a budget. Right. It, if you are going to give God 10 percent of what you have, you have to learn how to budget the rest. 
right? And, and swiping your credit card, it cannot be included in the budget, okay? So, giving to God first teaches us to be disciplined with the 90% that is left over. Again, assuming that you don't just put stuff on your credit card. It teaches you to live on a budget. It reorient, reorients our whole way of thinking about money and forces us to start living by the principles God has put in his word, giving, saving, investing, living on a budget, etc. Right. If, if you're going to focus on on returning to God and 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 giving God resources to fulfill his mission in the world it, it it that can't just be the only focus right it it will reorient how you spend the money that you have left it will you'll you'll live on a budget you'll get out of debt you will save more you will invest more right it this is a whole life change but it starts with discipline something that all of us, including myself, lack. Right? I was just having a conversation with my cousin Malcolm <laughs> the other day about how um, I thought that that uh, getting out of debt would, you know, be different, right? And, you know, like I said, I'm all I have now is my mortgage, kids' tuition, and then, like, gas and electric and all that other stuff, right? Um, but I told Malcolm, I'm like, it is amazing how... I've realized I, I don't have, I lack so much discipline. <laughs> it's like getting out of debt really like, oh, well, yeah, I had, you have to be disciplined to get out of debt. But then when you don't have any debt, it's like you lose your purpose, you know? And it's like, I look at the statements. I'm just like, I like, I, why is it, why I spent so much money. It's like, I didn't go in any debt. I didn't use my credit card, but I should have had more money left over this week. But it's like, you go into the restaurant and be like, oh, eat what you want. You know, you go. Whereas though, when we were when we were working on getting out of debt, it was like, you want to go out to eat? No, girl. Don't we got some beans in there? Like eat some. <laughs> you know, but it's like now it's just like your lack of discipline really shows, right? So most times it's like you you thinking, wow, I'm doing so much so much better, but really, you still lack discipline. You're just doing it without credit. Okay, so 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 now I need to figure out well, how do I how do I get back that discipline? Okay. These are the things that we have to learn and wrestle with when we are focusing on giving to God. Now, again, I want to be very clear. Um, I, I still do not believe that tithing is an obligation. So we're talking about this because, you know, using the term because Malachi uses, um, is, um, is talking about tithing. Um, I want to be very clear. I know Malachi says you're going to be cursed with a curse because you're robbing God. Um, but we, we have to remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, right? Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? He became a curse for us. Um, so there is no curse uh, for Christians that do not tithe, right? I, I don't want in any way to communicate to anyone that what I'm saying is an obligation, right? Th there is no obligation, meaning like if you don't give, 
10 percent of your money, you're going to be cursed. Right. God is going to, you know, send the locusts to eat your paycheck or something. Right? <laughs> OK, like, like Malachi. OK, that's not what I'm it's, that's not what I'm trying to com- to communicate. Uh, in, in any way, this is not a discipline issue, meaning a punishment issue. Let me say it that way. What we're talking about here is a love issue. We don't give because we don't want God to not punish us. We give because we love God. So with, with, with that being said, I will make, uh, make this caveat. We are not, as Christians, obligated to tithe. But I will say that if at least some of us don't choose willingly to tithe, there's no way for us to accomplish God's work in the world. There's no way. There's no way to send people on the mission field if every Christian only dropped one, two, five, ten dollars in the plate. There's no way to feed the hungry or help the homeless if we just give willy nilly. So as Christians, we have to find a balance somewhere between just random giving and tithing. I don't know what that is for you. Only you and the Holy Spirit can (laughs) can make that determination. but what I will say is, as, as Christians, we have to be way more intentional about our giving than we really are. Okay. So, now my last part is what I want us to do. I want us to look at um, just s- nine. I have nine, right? But I'm just we'll look at them and go real quick. Not a lot of explanation of the, these nine things. I think they're kind of self-explanatory. I want us to look at nine principles. Um, there's tons more, but I want us to look just nine principles in the Bible about giving so that we can see this all set uh, in, in place. I'm going to skip uh, most of the Old Testament, what it says about tithing. I think that we under, we, we hear the, the point that they're making, that the, the tithe was supposed to, of course, take care of the temple, um, to pay um, pay the priest, uh, to help the, the poor, the widow, the orphan, right? and to bring the nation together in their festivals when it was time to worship God. Okay, I think those points um, have been made. We talked about that last week. But let's look at some some principles in the Bible that will help guide our thinking about giving, and that hopefully um, upon reflecting on these, it will help you make a determination about what you should do as an individual. Number one. First thing I want us to see is that Abraham and Jacob chose to tithe even though they were not obligated. Okay. Now remember, the nation the Israel did not become a nation until the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, right? And in a, as a part of the Ten Commandments, that is when tithing became an obligation, right? Um, but notice, you can look at this in Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. And also chapter twi- Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22, both Abraham and Jacob chose to tithe. Now, there's, not, there's no evidence, and um, um, I like, uh, people use this as a, as a, a scripture, and I, I want to make a distinction. Pe- some people use this verse as 
a way to explain that we as Christians are obligated to tithe even though we are not under the law. Okay, so their argument goes, Abraham and Jacob were not under the law, and they did they still tithe. So now that we are not under the law, we still are obligated to tithe. Now, I would say I think that they're making a mistake there because there's only one verse here, right? This Genesis chapter 14 passage. It doesn't say that Abraham tithed regularly or consistently. For all we know, this is the only time he ever ever tithed in his whole life. Um, so I don't think that we can make this as to say it's something habitual that he did. But he did choose to do it on this one instance. And then in Jacob said to God, if you give me safe passage to the land that I'm going to, then I will tithe forever. Now, that's an interesting conversation to have with God. If you're obligated to tithe, you say to God, if you give me what I want, then I'll give it to you. It's like, well, you should really have expected a, a lightning bolt to just like smack you upside your head. Right. It was it was as if he was speaking as he had a choice to do it or not do it. Right. Okay. So what we know um, is actually I was I was actually have been reading some of these uh, ancient Near East documents. And one of the documents I was reading this week uh, was uh, was from Egypt, and uh, I actually didn't know this, but until this week, that tithing was actually a principle I, um, in this part of the world, right before Abraham was even born, right? There's documents that talk about that Egyptians used to tithe to their gods before Abraham was even born. Okay, so the point that I'm making is is that just because it's not an obligation doesn't mean that it's not something we can't do willingly by choice. Number two, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And here I'm going to hit three of my nine principles, Matthew chapter 6. I want us to see first in verses 19 through 21, how you spend your money is the best indicator of what you value. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. How you spend your money is the best indicator of what you value. Do you value things of the earth? Or do you value things of heaven? You're, if you value things on earth, that's where you will store up your treasures. But if you value things in heaven, that is where you will store up your treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. 
this principle. You have to choose a master. You have to choose a master. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You have to pick one. You can't serve both. You can't love both. If you love money, this world, and the pleasure that it provides, you can't say that you love God. Jesus himself, okay, this is not me speaking. Okay, you're like, well, I don't agree with pastor. This is Jesus, okay, right? Now, I know some people don't agree with Jesus either, but li- what he says is you can only serve God or your money. You can't serve both. You can't love both. You will either love one and hate the other. Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. If the resources that God gives you to further his purposes and his kingdom, you take those resources and spend them on yourself, don't say that you love God. You will love one, and by loving one, you are saying that you hate the other. Everyone see that? Last principle in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25, Jesus says that we are to focus on taking care of God's needs, and God will focus on our needs. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will will we wear? For it is the gent... For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, notice what Jesus says. I've heard this passage used of so many different things, cars and businesses and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I am a textualist. Okay, what does the scripture say? Okay, Jesus is talking about food, clothing, and shelter. Everyone with me? Food, clothing, and shelter. He says the Gentiles strive after these things. What things? Food 
clothing and shelter. And your father knows that you have need of these things. What are these things? Food, clothing, and shelter. Okay. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, what things? Food, clothing, and shelter will be added to you. Didn't say nothing about no BMW. It ain't say nothing about no businesses. It ain't saying nothing about anything else. Food, clothing, and shelter. All right, so, we are, so we're on the same page. <laughs> okay. God, your heavenly Father, knows you have need of these things. But if you put your energy and effort into his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be taken care of. Anybody with me? It's funny how this works. He talks about the birds of the field. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't build barns to store their food, but God always finds a way to feed them. It's funny, I, as I was reading this verse, I was laughing uh, at myself because about two weeks ago, I had a, um, my sump pump was pouring out all of this water. I had to have this guy come in and he put like a little drainage ditch in to kind of drain the water out. And, um, and so it left this big hole in my yard with no grass. And so I, I went to the store and, and um, I went out there and I put down the, the, the bird seed. And I'm like, man, I, I forgot. I should have got some dirt to cover this up. These birds are going to, um, um, grass seeds. I'm like, these birds are going to eat my seeds, right? But then it was late at night. I was like, mm, I'll do it in the morning. And then I woke up the next morning. Janita was like, you might want to look outside. <laughs> it seemed like every single bird <laughs> in Hartford County was in my backyard. And, and Janita, <laughs> Janita was like, you're not going to go run them birds away? I said, God is good to all. <laughs> God found a way <laughs> to feed <laughs> every bird in Hartford County. That, that's what he does. That's exactly what he does. He used my laziness to feed his good creatures, okay? <laughs> and if God can do that for birds, can he do that for you? That's, that's all Jesus is trying to say. <laughs> that's all Jesus is trying to say. Number five, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, just one book over. To your right, Mark chapter 12. I think what Jesus is trying to say here, we're going to look at verses 41 through 44. The value of our giving is not based on what we have, but on what we have left over after we give. The value of our giving is not based on what we give. It is based on what we have left over after we give. Okay. Now listen to this story. Verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth which are worth a penny. 
Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has, get, has put in everything she has, all she had to live on. Now, notice what Jesus says, right? Jesus is standing here. He's watching. It's offering time. Okay. They're passing the, the plates. Okay. And so people are putting money into the treasury. He says that there are rich people coming in writing big checks, right? And everybody would fawn over them. Oh, look how much money sister so-and-so put in. And they put in all of this amount of money. Then you have this poor widow come up. She drops in two coins. Both coins put together only equal a penny. Now, how you do that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Jesus said she gave more than all of the rich people. And now the rich people would protest. They'd be like, wait a minute, I, I put in $1,000 this Sunday. What do you mean she gave more? She only put in a penny. It's because the value of your giving is not about what you give. It's about what you have left over after you give. If I'm a millionaire and I come in church, I'm not, by the way, <laughs> but, but if I'm a millionaire and I walk in church, and I, boom, I dropped, I dropped $10,000 on it. Go ahead, put that in the building fund. Yeah, look how much I gave to the building fund. <laughs> Somebody should say, you only gave 10000 You had a lot more to give. You could, you could have wrote a 50. Or oh, 50, I ain't giving that kind of money to the church. Well, why not? If you're rich, why not? But if I... I'm just a regular average Joe making a minimum wage and I come in and I put $100 into the offering plate. My $100 is worth more than your 10. In, in God's eyes, because you wrote that check and did not feel a pinch, it didn't mean anything to you. So the, the, the principle is, as we said last week, when we give, we should feel a pinch. I'm like, oh, I felt, I felt that when I signed that check. <laughs> I felt, I don't know, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> it, if you just write checks and it's an afterthought, it, it, your giving does not hurt you, affect you one way or the other. I could give it or not give it, and it's not going to affect me financially. You aren't giving enough. Number six. I don't know. I said I had nine. I only had seven points. Y'all getting out early. Number six. First Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says here, giving should be done weekly in church. Giving should be done weekly in church. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the direction I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, which is Sunday, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn so that collection need not be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I will send any whom you approve with letters to take your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And Paul is, is saying, you said that you were going to bring the money. Don't hold on to it. Right. Don't wait until I show up to give the money every week. Come in and, and give towards it so that when I come, the, the, it is set aside so that I can have the money to take to do the um, do the work. Right. Number seven. Last one. Second Corinthians, one book to your right. Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Paul says, giving should not be compulsory, but should be done cheerfully after reflecting on what Christ has done for you. Look at what he says, verse 6. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now, notice what Paul says here. He says, uh, if you give sparingly, right? If you give little, you're going to reap little. If you give generously, you're going to receive generously. But he says nobody should give under compulsion. You should not feel obligated or beat up to give. You should not be, y'all not giving enough money in here. Y'all better start tithing or you're going to be cursed with a curse. Okay. Right. You should not also be, you should also not be manipulated into giving, you know, into. Lord, I honor you with this. Lord, I bless you with this. Th th these are all gimmicks. <laughs> I know I'm going to get in trouble for that. But th these are all gimmicks that we use to, to trick people and pressure people into giving. Paul says you should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. If someone is trying to force you to give or manipulate you into give and you are not able to give cheerfully from your heart, you should not give. You shouldn't do it. That's why when we do offering, it's like, you know, walk around, the basket is at the door, give, don't give. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to beat you up to give, right? It should be done cheerfully. He says, as a person, right, um, verse 7, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, right? Or Paul says, I like the New King James Version, as a man purposes in his heart, so let him give. You need to reflect on what God has done for you. And then give cheerfully based on that. It shouldn't be under under pressure or compulsion. It should be done cheerfully after reflecting what, on what Christ has done for you.
Now, with these principles in mind, as I said, um, it is up to each one of us individually to determine what we give, right? I, I don't think it's right uh, to say, hey, you know, we have a building fund. We want to give missions. We have this. Everybody has to give 10% or everybody has to give this or whatever. Now we, we, we have talked about how to help people, right? We said, hey, you know, if you can't, we'll start at $25 and, you know, a week and then pay off the debt and work on it. But again, those are still suggestions, right? These are things that, that this is a issue that is at its core something that is personal t between you and God and your checkbook. <laughs> okay, I, I would hate for someone to be like, yeah, I gave all this money, and then my car got repossessed because pastor said we had to give the missions. I'm like, don't put that on me. <laughs> don't put that one on me. You made that promise to them people. You better pay them people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but but again, what I'm trying to communicate to us, this is what I'm, what I'm really trying to communicate is, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. If, if, if we want to see people saved, it will be because we make the sacrifice to do it. I'm talking about people in this neighborhood or, or whatever. If, if, if we want to get our own building, it's because we have to make the sacrifice to, uh, to do it, right? Um, but there's no way, um, I, I have been uh, said this to, uh, been told this several times, like, you need to stop telling people they ain't got a tithe. Listen, I can't say something that's not true just to get pe a certain outcome, right? I have to, again, if we're saying that that first fruit or tithing or, or whatever is about trusting God, I can't teach other people to trust God and then not trust him myself, right? I can't be like, well, you're obligated to tithe because by doing that, and I think that a lot of pastors would not admit this, but it's true, that the, the reason we beat people up about giving is because at its core, we don't trust God to fund the ministry that he gave us. Okay. But again, I haven't been called to get a big building. That's not my calling. My calling is to preach God's word. If I do it at this building, if, if we rent this building for 20 more years and I retire, can I retire at 60? I don't know. <laughs> well, 30 more years. <laughs> okay. And we still in the same building. I'm not going to get to heaven. And God said, no, why you ain't here no building? What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> okay. He will say, why y'all spend so much on the building and y'all ain't pay help, help no missionaries go around the world and, sh and share the gospel? That is a question he probably will ask. So, so I, I want us to keep things in, in perspective. It's our responsibility to, to do all of these things, but I'm not going to pressure anyone to do anything, right? I'm going to trust God with everything that we do. And if there are things that we don't get to do and we go to heaven, I'm like, well, we did what we could do. But what I'm trying to teach us is to go back to my, my point from last week. My point from last week is I don't want us to take any one thing that I say 
in isolation, right? I don't want us to take any one thing in isolation. We put a, a big, heavy emphasis on um, on giving last week. And I, it, was, it was funny. I called my mother up. I said, I just want to know, how much was the offering this, this week? <laughs> and I was right. It was double what it was the week before. <laughs> and I'm like, they don't listen. They don't listen. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Just <laughs> I, like I said last week, that's not that was not the point of the message. <laughs> okay, I thank the Lord, <laughs> but that but that wasn't the point of the message. Okay, what I'm trying to get us to see is when we turn back to the Lord. It, it changes our whole life, right? It, it, it changes our whole, whole life. It's not just a, let me just dump money in this Sunday because pastor says, <laughs> says something about giving, right? That's not the, that's not, uh, not the purpose. What, like I said last week, I'm trying to get us to see we should be doing all of this. We need to work on getting out of debt so that we can have more to give to, God, to, give to God's work, right? But in order to do that, we got to live on a budget. We got to, you know, we have to do all of these things, all of them, right? Um, but because we take one piece here, one piece there, and we don't do all of these things, it's not sustainable. Listen, if we if we brought in the amount of money we brought in last Sunday, every single Sunday, we would be in a building in like a year or two. <laughs> okay. But I know... The amount of money we brought in last week is not sustainable for us. It's not sustainable. Now, I'm, I'm like, Lord, you know, you can do everything. <laughs> but, but if we take all of the principles together, right? Start where you, 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 where you are or can't or, or, you know, wherever. You, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to work on getting out of debt and paying down debt, living on a budget, right, and then increasing as you go, right? If, if all of us were to focus on, on doing that, we wouldn't even have any conversation about, about giving, or, uh, about needing a conversation about giving, right? Because giving would be a, a non-issue, right? Th that's, ju that's just the, the nature of, of money. So, to boil this down, I know I'm over my time. <laughs> Like you over your time every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, September's coming. All right. Um, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to get us, get, um, get us to, right, is, um, is to see, as a church, because this is the point I, I ended with last Sunday. Malachi is not talking about what we do as individuals. Right. He says, you are robbing me this whole nation. Right. He's, he's looking at what what they are doing collectively. OK. So it's not about what an individual gives. Uh, it's, it's about what we do collectively. OK. And <laughs> that's the focus of, of what I'm trying to work on. Like if you think about over the last what 
two years, I guess, we started talking about having this conversation at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Um, we need to put a big focus on finances, right? Um, I said at the beginning of the pandemic, it wasn't true of me at the beginning of the pandemic, and it's not true of me at this moment. But, but each one of us should be working on, one, getting out of debt, and two, working on having a six-month emergency fund, right? I have accomplished the first. I'm working on the second. Okay. We don't know if we're going back into another shutdown. And if we go back into another shutdown, all of the nice dresses and things that we've been, been bought, you can't eat that. <laughs> you just can't. You just you can't eat that. I mean, it would be nice, but you can't eat it. Okay. So, so we've been talking about this for the last year and a half, two years. About we need to put a, put a focus on getting out of debt, not just because we need to, you know, we want to give to missions and different things like that, but because for practical reasons that if there's a shutdown, you don't know. It, you you might have survived <laughs> the first shutdown. Your job might not survive the second one. And you want to have a cushion, whereas if I don't get paid for one, two, three, four, five, six months, I can still pay my bills. Okay. So there are also practical reasons why God says what he says in, in his word. My, my focus um, goal is to try to get us a, as a church to live what God's word says. Because if we're living what God's word says, we can enjoy, as Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy First Timothy 6, he says that, you know, that God wants us to richly enjoy everything that he has given us, right? We can do that, right? But not if we keep piling up debt. We can richly enjoy everything he's given us and pay for missions and get a building to do all of these different things if we just eliminate the debt. Okay. Um, and so I know you all are probably tired of me, you know, me, me driving the point home, okay? but um, it, 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 it's true. The world is changing, right? And we have to change how we think about money, both for you know, for our church's purposes and for us as individuals. Okay, so um, I'm done. We almost done Malachi. I guess we give two more Sundays and we'll be we'll be finished. And y'all go like, um, but you know, again, Malachi has been kind of you know beating us up a little bit. But it, it, it's, it's good. John Lewis says, good trouble. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm going to take uh, the next two Sundays, and I think that the next section of Malachi is literally the, 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 the rest of the book, the, the, the end of chapter 3 through the end of the book is literally all one section. Okay. So um, I'm going to try to take two Sundays to, to, um, to knock out the rest of of the book of Malachi, and uh, then we'll be finished. All right, so um, you can go and read the rest of the book of Malachi five times. <laughs> all right, so so you'll um, you'll be ready, and um, and then we'll be we'll be done with Malachi. Y'all can breathe a sigh of relief. And I guess I had to pick a 
an easy series next. <laughs> Talk about relationships or or God going to drop a blessing on you or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's stand on our feet. I don't think we have any announcements or anything like else, right? Don't forget we have the um, uh, the, the prayer box in the back. If you have any prayer requests or anything, um, you can uh, drop those in there. Um, if you want to sign up for, for the back to school, uh, you can sign up back there. So we, we want to make sure that we have something uh, for all of our young people that are, are going back to school. Um, I want to, um, before we uh, uh, close out, want to say congratulations to Nathan. All right. This week he's going to be uh, uh, leaving to go to college. All right. So. All right. So we want to make sure that we uh, we keep him in prayer. All right. I know it's, it's going to be hard. He's going to learn to live on ramen noodles and all. So. <laughs> all right. But we want to make sure that we uh, keep him in, in our prayers uh, during this time. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, close this out in prayer and I'll give the benediction. Father, we, again, we come before you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've placed in your word, even the things that are difficult, uh, like the things that we found in the book of Malachi. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to work on us. Help us uh, to be like Jacob that wrestled with the angel, Lord. Help us to, to wrestle with your word and to, to struggle well with the things that you have said. Let us not turn our backs on them because they're difficult. Let us wrestle with those things because like Jacob, once we have fully grasped them, our lives will be different forever. We want to pray for Nathan, Lord, as he is uh, leaving for college. We pray, Lord, that you would bless him. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen him. We thank you for his parents and everything that you that they have poured into his life. I pray that now as they have trained him up in the way that he should go, that he will not depart from them. We thank you, Lord, for the man that he has, um, is becoming and has become. We pray, Lord, that as he goes to school, Lord, that you would give him wisdom and knowledge and understanding uh, to be able to excel and to do all of his studies for your glory. We pray not only for him, but for all of our students, Lord, that you would bless them as they are returning to school and that you would use all of them for your glory. We thank you now for these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. For it is now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.